so much. Ephesians chapter 2, if you'll turn there with me in your Bibles. And we'll be picking up in our study of this great book of the Bible in chapter 2, verses this morning, verses 4 through 7. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7. As I read, remember, this is the holy, inspired, inerrant word of living God. May God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Again, that is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time together in this part of your word. And we come to it with a sense of expectation and anticipation, praying that your Holy Spirit would take it and use it in our lives as a sword of the Spirit to show us our need of of Christ and of his grace. And, And I pray that you would Uh, Help us to have eyes to see your word this morning, ears to hear its message, hearts that are pliable and softened to be able to receive it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are a lot of uh, important words in the Bible. We could go around uh, the room this morning and spend a good bit of time just calling out uh, important words, significant words that we remember from reading portions of God's Word. Words like sacrifice, redemption, atonement, propitiation, forgiveness, faith, salvation, holiness, sanctification, obedience, eternal life. And and that's just scratching the surface, isn't it? All the, the significant, important words that we find in the Bible. However, I would submit to you that in our text this morning, we find two of the most important words you will find anywhere in the Bible. And those are the first two words in verse 4, and they are the words, but God. Now, if you have a translation this morning that separates those two words, and put some sort of phrase in between them, that's unfortunate. Because in the Greek, it simply says, but God. And that's really the powerful message of our passage this morning. You and I were in trouble. You and I had a great need. But God did something about it. You need to remember what we saw last week in verses 1 through 3, where Paul says that you and I, before we came to Christ, and everyone who is today apart from Christ, were dead in sin. Dead in sin. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, he says. You were Helpless, and you were hopeless. 
And you were without help and without hope because you were lifeless. You had no life. Apart from Christ, we have no spiritual life. It really is a dark and dismal picture of human nature that Paul paints for us in verses 1 through 3, where he says, you were dead. Well, at the conclusion of my sermon last week, as we finished up that section, I raised the question about how that can be solved. How how can we get over that? How can those who are spiritually dead ever find spiritual life? How can those who are separated from from Christ, who are living according to the ways of the world, ever make that transition to living a life focused on God and desiring the things of God? The clear answer from Scripture is that left to ourselves, that is impossible. It simply cannot be done. And it's with the first two words in verse 4 that Paul begins to answer that question of how dead men can come to life. How those who are separated from Christ can come to a relationship with Him. And it is those words, but God. We had a problem, but God did something about it. And if God hadn't done it, none of us could be saved. Now, as we look at this text, as we consider God's solution to man's basic problem, uh, this morning I want to look at what God has done for us. And then next week, we're going to look at the same verses again next week. Instead of preaching one long sermon, divided up into two maybe shorter ones, this morning we're going to look at what God has done to accomplish our salvation. Next week we're going to look at who God is in regard to our salvation. That is, this morning it's God's actions. Next Sunday it's be God, it will be God's character. As described in this passage, and as it relates in particular to our salvation. You see, here, Paul is not focused so much on salvation accomplished as he is on salvation applied. That is, he's not focused so much upon what God did to accomplish your salvation through sending his son to down the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, but he's talking more about what God does in your life to enable you to embrace it, to see it, to believe it, and to trust in it. What does God do to enable you and and me, all those he calls to faith, what does he do to enable us to understand and to grasp the truth of the gospel? Well, one thing the text tells us that God did is that he made us alive together with Christ. We find that clearly in verse 5, where it says, Even when we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ. That is the key and the most fundamental thing that God does for those who are spiritually dead. He causes us, he makes us, come alive, gives us spiritual life in Christ. The closest analogy I think we have to that is the story in John 11 
of Jesus and his good friend Lazarus. They were good buddies, apparently, good friends. The Bible tells us that Jesus loved Lazarus. Lazarus became very sick, and Lazarus died. Now, his family called for Jesus, sent word to him to let him know that uh, Lazarus was sick, but the Bible indicates that Jesus tarried a little while, didn't get there right away, and by the time Jesus got to Bethany where they were living, Lazarus was dead. In fact, he'd been dead four days. And with the uh, poor embalming methods in those days, his body would have already begun to decay. Now, nothing is more bleak than that. You know, I, I mentioned last week that over the years, I just hate to count the number of funerals that I've conducted over the last 36 years. I've never been to a funeral where the friends of the family expected the dead person to come back to life. That just doesn't happen, does it? There's nothing more helpless and hopeless than a corpse. But Jesus came to uh, Lazarus's grave and he, he told the people to, to roll the stone away from it. Similar tomb, kind of tomb to the one Jesus was buried in. It was a cave uh, kind of carved into the rock. A large stone rolled against it to seal it. And Jesus came and said, roll the stone away. Now, I hope you understand just how dire the situation was. Lazarus' sister came to Jesus and said, don't do that. Don't you understand? He's been dead four days. Now, if you roll that stone away, there's going to be a stench. But that didn't deter, deter Jesus at all. He, so they removed the stone. The grave was open. And Jesus called out to his friend, Lazarus, come forth. Now, I would assume there was a good bit of anticipation to see what would happen. They didn't have to wait long. Because here came Lazarus walking out of the tomb, still wrapped in the cloths in which he'd been buried. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. What do we call that? It's a miracle, isn't it? It's a miracle. If I were going to ask you this morning to write down the three most marvelous miracles that Jesus ever performed, I would imagine this is going to be in the top three. It's a miracle. For Jesus to call a dead man from the grave is a miracle. Do you get the point? The Bible says you and I spiritually just as dead as Lazarus was physically. And there was no way possible for Lazarus to make himself come alive and walk out of that tomb unless what happened? Jesus called to him with his voice and said, Lazarus, come forth and gave him new life. That's what conversion is. Conversion, you see, is not us doing anything. It's Jesus calling us with his sovereign voice saying, come to me. We call it irresistible grace. We're going to talk about grace next week. Look, folks, when Jesus calls, you get out of the tomb. 
and you can walk it down. What the text says, when we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ. The second thing the text says that God did, it says he raised us up with him. We find that in verse 6. And he raised us up with him. It says, you see, not only did God give us new life, cause us to, to live spiritually, whereas once we were dead, but he raised us up. What does that mean? Well, he raised us up out of the muck and mire of sin, for one thing. Elevates us to a place we've never experienced before. Given us eternal life. Made us kingdom, members of the kingdom of heaven. Even though we continue to live on earth, we have this dual citizenship. We, we're, we're members of the kingdom of heaven. You see, the heavenly blessings aren't just reserved for a future time in the distance. But when we experience the, the blessings of what it is to be a, a believer in Christ today, we're raised up, we're elevated to a new position with Him. God raised us up, He says, with Christ. Do you realize that you have resurrection power in your life? Do you realize that the same power it took to raise Jesus from the dead? Is what God used to raise you up from your life of spiritual deadness? You see, believers have gone through a fundamental change. Being a Christian is not just deciding to believe particular truths or scenting, giving assent intellectually to, to particular biblical facts. Being a Christian is someone who's been radically and fundamentally changed. Someone who has been given new life in Christ and someone who's been raised up with Him. That is why a believer's life is to change. We're new creatures in Christ. Our priorities change. Our values change. Our perspective changes. Our behavior changes. Our language changes. You see, those things don't change immediately. But over time, they do. That's evidence that we have new life. And we've been raised up with Him. I want you to turn with me for a few moments to Colossians chapter 3. You can keep your finger in Philippians 2, I mean Ephesians 2, but go over, flip over a couple of three or four or five pages in your Bible to Colossians chapter 3. In, in this chapter, Paul really fleshes out this whole idea of what it means to be raised up with Christ. Read verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, there's that same phrase we found in Ephesians 2, verse 6. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also be it will be revealed with him in glory. You see, in this chapter, Paul really is just kind of fleshing out that whole concept of what it means to be raised up with Christ. And so I want to take a few minutes this morning to see what that means, the practical application of it. Again, it's the same wording, isn't it? Raised up with Christ. Ephesians 2, 6, uh, Colossians uh, 3, 1. And what Paul is saying here is that if you've been truly raised up with Christ, if, if you've been given new life in Christ, and raised up with Him, then it ought to make a difference in your life. And this is part of it. This is what you ought to see. And the first thing Paul says here in Colossians 3, it does, is it changes your perspective on life. You know, I stress so often, don't I, the importance of having a vertical perspective. Not getting lost down here in the muck of life on the horizontal level. Keeping a vertical, vertical perspective. And look again at what Paul says in, in Colossians 3.1. If you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking what? The things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. I don't, don't know you can find a clearer definition of what it means to have a vertical perspective than that. It's part of being raised up with Christ. It also impacts your, your perspective of yourself. Verse 5 of Colossians 3 says that if you've been raised up with Christ, you are therefore to consider the members of your earthly body as dead through immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. If you've been raised up with Christ, it sets you free from, from living the way Paul described in verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians 2, according to the lust of the flesh after the pattern and ways of the world. It also changes your perspective on your relationships. Look at verses 8 and 9. But now you also, he says, put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. You see... All those character traits have to do with how we deal with other people. And your new life in Christ, being raised up with Christ, changes the way that you deal with other people. There's more of that in verses uh, 12 through 15. It says then this, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, he got just as well said as those who have been uh, raised up with Christ... Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. You see... That's what Paul is talking about in our text in Ephesians 2, being raised up with Christ. And, and Paul here in Colossians 3 is saying, this is how it impacts the way that you live. Impacts your view of life, your perspective of life, your view of yourself, 
your view of your relationships with other people. But then he gets more specific toward the end of the chapter, beginning with verse 18, where he says in verse 18, it impacts the way that wives relate to their husbands. In 19, it impacts the way the husbands relate to their wives. In verse 20, it impacts the way children obey their parents. In verse 21, the way the fathers relate to their children. In verse 22, the way that slaves obey their masters. Today, it's the way employees relate to their employers. You see, this is a very practical matter, isn't it? I think it's a fair question to ask. Well, how can I know? How can I know if I've been made alive together with Christ? How can I know? If I've been raised up with him, part of that answer certainly has to do with the promise of God. But part of that answer has to deals with what do I see in my life? Has it changed me? Am I a different person? Do I live in new ways, with new patterns of behavior, with a more Christ-centered perspective? Does it change the way that I relate to my friend? Does it change the way I relate to my family? If you've been raised up with Christ, Paul says, keep seeking the things above. Live in the way that honors Christ. Then there's a third thing God did. And that is he seated us with him, the text says, in the heavenly places. Back in Ephesians chapter 2. Still in verse 6, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Now that might seem like a rather odd thing for the Apostle Paul to say. After all, you're not seated in heavenly places. I see you. You're seated right here. You know, we don't aren't living yet in heaven. We will. But we live in earthly places, don't we? We live in our homes. We live in our places of employment. We live in our schools. We live at the ball field. Or in civic meetings. We live in the church. We live in earthly places. But what does it mean when Paul says we've been raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places? One thing that does is show the great confidence we have in the hope of the gospel. So often the Bible speaks with such great certainty of the things we will experience someday, it talks as though we've already experienced them today. As though we've already been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And next week when we come back to this passage, we talk about the character of God that kind of comes out of this. We're going to talk about our union with Christ. That's what really we're talking about here. Now we are one with Christ. But isn't there an interesting parallel between what happened to the Lord Jesus and what Paul describes here is happening to us? Hmm? Jesus was dead. He died on the cross. Not because of his own sin like you and I do, but he died because he took our sin upon himself. Jesus was dead. And he was buried. But what happened? 
God made him alive. Sometime, in some way, while he was still in the grave, God caused Jesus to come back to life. He was made alive. And then what happened? God raised him from the dead. The third day, like the Easter hymn says, up from the grave he arose. God raised him. And then what happened? After 40 days, Jesus was exalted, ascended back into heaven. And what does the Bible say? He was seated at the right hand of God. That's exactly the same pattern. Paul describes in Ephesians 2 that God did with us. We were dead. What did God do? He made us alive. He raised us up with Christ. And he's now seated us with him in the heavenly places. Notice, though, how it's all united to Christ. Made alive together with Christ. Raised up with him. Seated in the heavenly places with him. Your only hope, you see, is in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, before each one of us this morning, where are we in relationship to this? Are we still in verses 1 through 3? Or are we in verses 4 through 6? Are we still living as spiritually dead men, conformed to the ways of the world, driven by uh, the devil and the lust of the flesh, or are we showing evidence that God has made us alive together with Christ, raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places? There is no middle ground for illustrations point. No offense, folks. We'll say this side are those who are spiritually dead. And this side are those who are spiritually alive. There is no in-between. Today, you are either on one side or the other. And the call of Christ is just as strong as it was to Lazarus. You're still spiritually dead. Get up. Trust Jesus. And give your life to him. It is your only hope. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. It is living and it is true. We pray that you would speak to our hearts through it today. Give us the assurance of eternal life, of new life with Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.